Hi. Welcome to another episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer. Recently, many people have asked for my opinion about the situation in Syria regarding the Kurds. I believe that the Kurdish situation in Syria offers an opportunity to look at how the enduring substance of war continues to apply to modern conflict. I'm not questioning the policy decision. Military force is the servant of policy, and policy should always drive the use of military force. The question is whether the enduring nature of war was addressed in developing that policy, including the deployment and redeployment of U.S. military force in Syria. First, a brief summary of how we got here. In 2014, a non-territorial quasi-state called the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant executed what fits very neatly as Phase 3 of Mao Zedong's revolutionary warfare and conducted large-scale combat operations seizing control of northeastern Syria, northwest Iraq, and pushed into Iraqi Kurdistan. Note, I'm going to use the term ISIL rather than ISIS to emphasize the larger aspirations of this group. The attack moved southeast, capturing Mosul, Fallujah, and Ramadi, and potentially threatening Baghdad. Facing the collapse of the Iraqi government and mass genocide of Kurdish Christians and Yazidis, the United States and Iran provided military support to Iraq, while, in western Syria, Russia provided support to the Syrian government. For the U.S., this was mostly material support. Special forces, air power, and artillery operating in support of Iraqi, Kurdish, and Free Syrian forces. In July 2017, the last ISIS stronghold in Iraq was recaptured, and U.S.-led operations pursued ISIL into Syria to deny it a base of operations. By the end of 2017, the presidents of the United States, Iraq, Iran, and Russia declared ISIL defeated. In December of 2018, the British Chief of General Staff declared, quote, the complete destruction of the geography of the so-called caliphate, unquote. And President Trump made his first announcement of withdrawing U.S. troops from Syria. Under pressure from various sources to include the resignation of the Secretary of Defense, the President deferred the withdrawal. In the meantime, Turkey faced a growing refugee problem. Although hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees flooded Europe, the UN High Commissioner of Refugees estimates that there are 3.6 million refugees in Turkey, mostly from Syria. Turkey wants to send them home. Finally, Turkey has its own insurgency problem. A very large Kurdish minority in Turkey demands both respect and autonomy and is quite willing to conduct guerrilla or terrorist operations to achieve that. This Kurdish population has strong ethnic ties with Kurds in Iraq and Iran and has close political affiliation with the Kurds in Syria, who the U.S. has been supporting. Then, earlier this month, President Trump ordered realignment of forces, allowing Turkish troops to enter Kurdish-held areas of Syria. So that's a very short and overly simplistic description of how we got here. I have no inside information about what was discussed in the National Security Council or in the Oval Office regarding the decision to alter our military footprint in northeast Syria, and I make no judgment about that decision. I hope that some fundamental questions were asked and the answers were considered in coming to that decision. 
Our philosopher of war, good old Uncle Karl von Clausewitz, wrote, quote, No one starts a war, or rather, no one in his senses ought to do so, without first being clear in his mind what he intends to achieve by that war and how he intends to conduct it, unquote. So, the first question we as American citizens must ask is, what did we intend to achieve by our military action against ISIL? Since the only things that get done are the things that can be measured, we must then ask, what was the measurable end state? What were the conditions we needed to establish to know that we were done? And did we achieve those measurable objectives? Finally, as Clausewitz also wrote, the end result in war is never final. What did we decide was necessary to secure the peace? Writing shortly after the first Gulf War, General Colin Powell expressed that those considerations still apply. He wrote that the United States is successful in every instance when we carefully match the use of military force to political objectives. He went on to say that if forces used imprecisely, without clear objectives, or out of frustration rather than analysis, then things can become much worse. As I am recording this, there is some indication that these questions were asked and addressed. The 2017 National Security Strategy of the United States laid out our strategic interest in this area. These include denying the region as a safe haven for jihadist terrorists or dominated by any power hostile to the United States. The president said the ceasefire agreement includes Turkey agreeing to take action against any resurgence of ISIS and the recent operation resulting in the death of ISIL chief Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi indicates a continuing commitment to take action to achieve this interest. With specific regard to Syria, the strategy envisions a settlement to the civil war that enables refugees to return home in safety. As previously stated by Turkey, the establishment of the safe zone is intended, in part anyway, to allow the return of Syrian refugees, and in the ceasefire agreement, Turkey committed to respect the religious and cultural freedom of the Kurdish population in the area. These statements seem to enable achieving some of those national strategic interests. There should be concern, however, of widening an opportunity for increased Russian influence and potential dominance of the region. It remains to be seen how the U.S. government will manage that risk. The President went on to address General Powell's observations I mentioned above and restate the key elements of what has been known as the Weinberger-Powell Doctrine. Near the end of his October 23rd speech, President Trump said that we will commit American troops to battle, quote, only when a vital national interest is at stake, unquote, and, quote, when we have a clear objective, a plan for victory, and a path out of conflict, unquote. I hope that he also embraces another key element of the Weinberger-Powell Doctrine, the resolve to only commit forces with the clear support of the Congress and the American people. The President's statements are hopeful, but as former Army Chief of Staff General Gordon Sullivan said, hope is not a method. We need to watch carefully to assure that the words of the ceasefire agreement and the statement focusing future American military action are realized. With regard to the desired outcome, the president too is cautious, saying, it's too early for me to be congratulating. Well, that's all for this episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Please join me next time where I'm going to be answering some questions that have come up on the comments pages. Until then, goodbye.